This podcast is part of the Darkness Collective. Visit darkness.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 280th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. Halloween is just a few days away, so it seems appropriate to be doing an episode on the legend of the hitchhiking ghost. I apologize. I can't remember which listener suggested this to me, but I went with the idea and we have a whole bunch of tales to share with you. Obviously, it's not completely comprehensive because there are literally hundreds of them around the world, but I asked the Spooktacular crew to share some that they had in areas near them, so we'll be covering a bunch of those as well as a few others that I found on my own. Before we get into that, I want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Dorian, kind of like Dorian Gray, Tesla, is that like the car? Jessica, Sue, Linda, Candy Luis, and that's with a K, Maria, Constanza, Gretchen, Chris with a CH, Gina, and Gail. Welcome, everybody. And now, this moment, Naughty. October is the time of year when our attentions turn to pumpkins. Pumpkins signal fall and, of course, Halloween. The German city of Ludwigsburg hosts the largest pumpkin festival in the world, which is held annually from early September to November. The festival includes more than 400,000 pumpkins, representing 450 species of them. There's a really unique twist to this pumpkin festival, though. This festival has its very own pumpkin race. This is a race held on water with huge hollowed-out pumpkins that weigh at least 550 pounds. And while you might think it's strange for people to watch a bunch of pumpkins race each other in water, imagine that each is like its own kayak being piloted by a human. The race covers a course measuring 115 feet, and the prize is money that is awarded in six categories. Competitor Malin Matuszczak said, It was hard fighting against the wind to get anywhere, but when you're in the groove, it works. I imagined it would be more difficult. We love pumpkins around here, but sitting in one on the water and paddling to win a race certainly is odd. Are you afraid of the dark? That's just silly. What you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. (laughs) And now, this month in history. month of October on the 9th in 1855, Joshua C. Stoddard patented the Calliope. 
A calliope is a musical instrument that produces sound by sending a gas, steam, or compressed air through large whistles. These large instruments can be played mechanically via a music box drum or manually via a keyboard. A calliope can be quite loud and the whistles are tuned to a chromatic scale. Although steam calliopes can be inaccurate with tuning since the temperature of the steam affects the pitch. J.C. Stoddard was a beekeeper from Massachusetts and he loved the sound of locomotive whistles. He took 15 train whistles of varying sizes and attached them to a steam chest with a music box cylinder or roller to open the valves. The valves admitted steam into the whistles. He intended for his calliope to replace the church bells. Instead, the calliope became the famous sound of riverboats and circus parades. All of the working steamboats still around today have steam calliopes. These boats include the Delta Queen, the Belle of Louisville, and President. Their calliopes are played regularly on river excursions. Most calliopes disappeared in the mid-20th century and only a few survived today. You can still see a very elaborate one at Fort Wilderness at Walt Disney World. I bet one of the first urban legends you ever heard was about a hitchhiking ghost. I know that's true for me. I've always been fascinated by these tales because they're so similar and yet spread out all around the world. Roadside apparitions have been witnessed by thousands of motorists, and there seems to be a legend of a hitchhiking ghost in every state in America. Many countries around the world have these hitchhiking ghost tales as well. These tales are haunting and tragic. They usually involve a young woman standing on the side of the road, appearing to be in distress or in need of a ride, and after being noticed or picked up in a car, she disappears. There's a level of trust and intimacy in giving someone a ride in your car, particularly a stranger. In our modern era, it just isn't safe to be either the driver or the hitchhiker. Maybe that is why these types of tales are so prevalent. There already is a basic level of fear involved in the act of hitchhiking. This episode can't possibly cover every single legend out there involving hitchhiking ghosts, but I'm going to do my best to touch on several that include tales from across America and from several countries. Join me on the roadside as we search out the legend of the hitchhiking ghost. Folklorist Jan Harold Brunvind wrote The Vanishing Hitchhiker, American Urban Legends and Their Meanings in 1981. The book traces the origin of the urban legend of the hitchhiking ghost back as far as 1876, with the ghost of a girl appearing on a roadway after being killed in a carriage accident. For myself, the idea of a hitchhiking ghost was introduced to me as a child. One of my favorite rides in the world is the Haunted Mansion, and it is inside this house that writers meet three strange characters known as the Hitchhiking Ghosts. 
There's Ezra, who's the skeleton, Phineas, who's the traveler, and Gus, who's the prisoner. They all thumb for a ride aboard your doom buggy at the end of the ride, and one of them joins you in that doom buggy, carrying on with some kind of shenanigans. It all seems rather fun, but the true tales of hitchhiking ghosts range from the shocking to the truly terrifying. the call in the spectacular crew asking members to share any hitchhiking ghost stories that they had from their various areas and so many of these that i'm going to share with you were suggested by them the first one we have up was suggested by emma pet this is bluebell hill in the united kingdom bluebell hill is a historic chalk hill in southern england that has been designated a site of scientific interest People have reported seeing ghostly hitchhikers here since the early 1970s. A man reported seeing a young girl appear in the road ahead of his car in 1974. She collapsed as his car approached, and he slammed on his brakes and rushed to give her help. He found her bleeding as though she'd been a victim of a hit-and-run accident. The legend claims that she asked him, Why did you hit me? He covered her with a blanket he had in his car and drove away to get the police. By the time the police got to the scene, the girl was gone, but the bloody blanket remained. This tale is so unique because we have something physical here that was placed on top of what appears to have been a ghost, and somehow it got blood from that ghost on the blanket that was still there when she disappeared. These are the things that blow my mind. How did that happen? And while we might be inclined to believe that this is some kind of residual haunting, she seems to be intelligent when she asks the driver, why did you hit me? Unless, of course, she's just reenacting what may have actually happened when she was killed. We're going to stay over across the pond in Switzerland. This is The White Woman of Belchin Tunnel. The White Woman of Belchin Tunnel is a tale that started in Switzerland in the early 1980s. This hitchhiking ghost is an old woman that appears on the road ahead of lonely drivers at night. Drivers slow down and pick her up and take her a few miles before she suddenly vanishes from the car. Apparently, the woman looks sick and tired. If a driver asks if she's okay, she responds by telling them something terrible is about to happen. Now, I don't know if she's some kind of harbinger of doom and if something does happen that's bad after that, but that's the way this legend goes. I find it interesting that both of these are legends that started in the 1970s and 1980s. So even though we have hitchhiking ghosts dating all the way back to the late 1800s, it seems it's our modern era where we hear a lot of these tales. Jana Field suggested a hitchhiking ghost that is found in McAllister, Oklahoma, and I hope I said that right. Jana's sister told her a tale about a hitchhiking ghost in the 1980s, so here we go again. The story takes place on a highway that passes Gowan Mountain near McAllister, Oklahoma. One evening, a hitchhiker became very tired as he wandered down the road. 
He decided that he needed to take a nap, but he didn't want to wander away from the road, so he curled up very close to the roadway. Unfortunately, he rolled a bit while sleeping and ended up on the road. A car hit him and killed him. Not long after that, he began appearing in the backseat of cars that drove down the road. Jaina's sister had a friend that claimed that her hair was pulled by something unseen when she was on the road one time. Now, first and foremost, if this story is true about this hitchhiker, how stupid to fall asleep on the side of the road. I don't even like walking on the side of the road, much less sleeping. But how spooky that her sister's friend had her hair pulled while she was in her car driving down that road. Jamie Michelle suggested Fort Myers, Florida. In 1913, McGregor Boulevard was built. The construction workers used shells to pave the road, and one night a skull rolled to the feet of a workman. This began an effort to dig up the rest of the skeleton. Before long, 103 skeletons were unearthed. The thought was that this was a Native American burial site, but a medical examiner found that the bones were not those of Native people. And that is when historians claim that the bones probably belonged to pirates. A pirate ship named the Gasparilla was captured by the United States Navy, and they massacred the entire crew. The bodies were buried here, and since there are no laws about disturbing pirate bones, the road was allowed to continue being paved. Drivers claim to see several people on the road that cars just pass right through. So here it would seem that we have some hitchhiking pirate ghosts. Now that would be something to see. In California, there's Niles Canyon, and there's all kinds of hauntings that are going on in this canyon. And one of those hauntings is a hitchhiking ghost. The tale that comes out of Niles Canyon in California is not as well known. There was a young girl who died in a car crash on her way to her high school prom. The car crashed into the canyon somewhere and was never recovered, meaning that the body of the girl was never recovered. She died on February 26, and that is the day that people claim to see her ghost as she seems to return to the scene of her death on the anniversary. Witnesses claim to see her wandering the road in her dress, and many stop to pick her up. She tells them where she lives, and they agree to drive her there, but she disappears soon after that. When the drivers visit the address she's given them, they find an abandoned house. This is something that we hear on the tail end of a lot of hitchhiking ghost stories is an address is given. The drivers go to investigate the address when the ghost disappears from their car and they either find it abandoned or they find people living there that let them know that the person that was in the car with them is no longer living. Jean Narez, and I hope I said her last name right, suggested the Parkway Phantom of Exit 82. And this is in New Jersey. The Garden State Parkway was completed in 1955. From that time until the present, people have claimed to witness an apparition that has come to be known as the Parkway Phantom. He is generally seen at exit 82 on Route 37 in Tom's River. The Phantom is described as a man crossing the road and waving his arms at night. The waving arms resemble a bizarre football cheer. A way that I've heard it described is as if it's hinged at the elbows and the arms kind of move in unison, so it looks very weird. It doesn't look human almost. He's very tall and wears a long top coat that is belted at the waist. According to the state police, this area of road has seen more than its fair share of car accidents. The Weird New Jersey website had a comment from somebody going by the username SeanMs17. We all work as paramedics in Ocean County and we see a lot of fatal accidents. About five years ago on a rainy night along the spot on the GSP, where it is also US-9, there was a guy whose car broke down on the curve. He pulled off to the side and began to walk along the shoulder when a driver hit him, throwing him into the woods and killing him. When the paramedics got there, they knew someone had been hit, but due to the darkness and rain, they could not find him. They finally did and tried to revive him, but it was too late. 
Several weeks later, the same medic crew was coming back from Kimball Medical Center in Lakewood, heading toward Tom's River, when they saw someone on the side of the road waving them down. By the time they were able to pull over and back up to the spot, the man was gone. They noticed it was in the same spot where the man was hit only weeks before. They just blew off the event until another crew reported a similar event in the same area. To date, about three teams have seen this. So here we have possibly who this phantom is, is this man that was killed in this car accident in which he was thrown. Brandon Marsh suggested the Roseman Covered Bridge. So how many of you have seen the movie Bridges of Madison County? I know, I know, it's not a horror movie, it's a drama, a romance, but it's good, I enjoyed it. If you've seen it, you'll be familiar with the Roseman Covered Bridge, which is featured in the film. The bridge is rectangular-shaped and brick-red in color and spans the Middle River. It's located southwest of Winterset in Madison County, Iowa, and is one of six remaining covered bridges in the area. They're all very distinct and very cool, I think. The bridge was built in 1883, which makes it amazing that it's still standing today. Now, obviously, it's had to be refurbished over the years because it's made out of wood, but just amazing to me that a bridge that was built in 1883 is still standing. It is this same year, 1883, that the haunting connected to this bridge originates, and this is a very weird story. An inmate escaped from the Madison County Jail in 1883 and ran to the bridge, thinking he could get away. The sheriff and a posse he formed caught up to the convict there. They trapped the man by blocking both sides of the bridge. Somehow, someone's gun discharged, and the convict cried out in pain. The story gets really weird here, as the inmate just seemed to disappear after he cried out. The sheriff and his men found no trace of the man. Nobody has any idea where this guy went to, where his body went to. Nobody heard him drop off the bridge into the river. And if you've seen this bridge, there's no holes on the side of it. There's nowhere that he could have crawled out and kind of scaled his way down the bridge or anything like that. You either go through the bridge or you don't. So if he's cried out in pain after being shot, his body should have been inside the bridge somewhere. So where did he go? There have been reports of cold spots on the bridge and people hear disembodied voices. Sometimes the bridge itself shakes for no particular reason. An EVP was captured by Central Iowa Paranormal Investigators of a voice telling them to leave. And there's a hitchhiking ghost that people see when crossing the bridge. Could this be the spirit of the convict? Right here near me in Tampa, Florida, we have the Sunshine Skyway Bridge. It has a very dubious rank that is connected to it, and that is that it's ranked fourth in the nation when it comes to people jumping off the bridge to their deaths. The bridge rises to 197 feet above the water, so most who jump from the bridge do not survive. I've been on this bridge many times myself, either driving across it. I also saw it while I was on the Tampa Ghost Tour that I did and heard some of the stories that are connected to it. Over 200 people have taken that leap from the bridge. The original two-lane bridge opened in 1954, and officials built an addition in 1971. There are two tragedies that are connected to the bridge. On January 28, 1980, a buoy tender and a tanker collided while attempting to pass beneath the bridge, and 23 servicemen were killed. That same year, on May 9th, a freighter collided with one of the Skyway support columns and part of the bridge fell into the water, taking eight vehicles that included a Greyhound bus full of college students. 35 people died in the collapse. The bridge has been the scene of several paranormal happenings, one of which is a hitchhiking ghost. 
The spirit is believed to belong to a young woman who probably threw herself off the bridge sometime in the 1960s. In the 1960s and 70s, authorities received multiple calls from motorists claiming to have seen a young woman preparing to jump from the bridge, but upon investigation, no woman was found. This same spirit, or perhaps another female spirit, has also been seen on the side of the road looking very troubled and sobbing. At other times, people have picked up the hitchhiking ghost only to have her break into sobs as they approach the summit of the bridge. When they turn to console the woman, she disappears. Motorists have spotted the hitchhiker on both the old bridge and the new one that was built to replace the one damaged in the collisions. Next, we're going to New Zealand, to Highway 94. This story of a highway in New Zealand features a Maori woman. It is said that the entire 160 miles of the highway is haunted by this spirit and that she has been seen holding a frightened kitten. She appears to be hitchhiking by the roadside, so drivers pull over to give her a ride. But just as the car stops, the woman and the cat completely disappear. And staying in that region, we're going to go to Australia, and this location was suggested by Rachel Hoare. This is Jenny Dixon Beach and Wilfred Barrett Drive. For those of you who are a bit sensitive to crimes against women, you may want to fast forward for about five minutes to get past this one. The young lady who is our hitchhiking ghost here did not die in a very nice way. The Central Coast considers this to be their most famous ghost, and there have been hundreds of credible sightings of her over the past 40 years. And even a film was made by a local filmmaker named Chris Howling about this woman who died at Jenny Dixon Beach and is now haunting it. This hitchhiking ghost seems to be a young schoolgirl who was abducted by a group of young men. I believe there were five of them. She was walking home along a lonely stretch of Wilfred Barrett Drive, They pick her up, they throw her in the car, they gang raped her, they beat her, bashed her in the head, and left her for dead at Jenny Dixon Beach. And she later died from her injuries. She managed to make it to the hospital alive. She was conscious long enough for her dad to tell her that he was going to bring whoever did this to her to justice. But it would seem that our hitchhiking ghost brought the people who did this to her to justice herself. And she really needed to because no one was ever arrested or convicted of the crime. There was never enough evidence to prove their guilt. And that's probably why her spirit is at unrest. It was shortly after her death that her spirit became active. And it seems that she decided to seek some revenge against the ones who did this to her. The first of these five friends that were suspected of doing this to her kept telling everybody that he was being hounded by a ghost, that she was tormenting him. And finally, he became so desperate, he hanged himself. Later that year... One of the other men who was involved in this crime had a car accident. As he lay dying, he told the paramedics that he had swerved off the road to avoid hitting a female figure that seemed to appear out of nowhere. There were other witnesses at the scene who saw the accident happen, but none of them saw the figure of this woman. A third man also took his own life, and before his death, he told people that a ghostly apparition had been tormenting him. He drove his car off of a cliff. A fourth man stated he had picked up a female hitchhiker, but as he neared Norville Road, the girl just disappeared. He is said to later have gone mad, and while driving on the Pacific Highway, he drove his car off an embankment, so this was considered another suicide. The last man also complained of being tortured by a ghost, and it's said that he moved away from the area, but the ghost followed him, and he said that he was living in a continual nightmare, being hounded by the ghost day and night. 
These five men were not the only ones who saw this spirit, though. There was a physician who was vacationing near Jenny Dixon Beach, and he filed a police report in which he claimed that he had picked up a young female hitchhiker who had been walking near the beach, and he claims somewhere along the road the girl just disappeared from his car. And when he was told about the local ghost, he said that must have been who was in his car. In the 40 years since her death, there's been at least 50 sightings of her ghosts, and that includes up into our modern era. And there are two officers who themselves have even witnessed this spirit. Early one morning, they picked up a young female hitchhiker who was walking along the road, and she disappeared as they approached Nora Head Cemetery. And there's a lot of these reports that claim that this spirit disappears right as they get close to the cemetery. So many wonder if that's where she's been buried. Another man who picked up the girl said that he had asked her to get into the front with him, but she insisted on getting in the back seat of his car. And he remembers how he tried to talk to her, get her to have some conversation with him, but she wouldn't speak to him at all. As he got closer to the cemetery, he glanced in his rearview mirror, and he was shocked to see that she was no longer in his car. She had just disappeared. Now we're going to go to California to Creek Road in O'Hay, and I hope I'm saying that right. It's O-J-A-I. Creek Road is a lonely stretch of road that branches off Highway 33 just outside of O'Hay, California. It's a winding road full of ghost stories. There are several spirits that are seen along the road that could all be considered our hitchhiking ghost. There's a decapitated motorcyclist who wanders the road headless as though he's looking for his head. There's a bloodied bride that is said to appear on the road on the anniversary of her death. And there's another spirit that is just known as the vanishing hitchhiker. The creepiest apparition here belongs to a badly burnt male figure that locals call Charman. He is seen near the Creek Road Bridge, so locals call it the Charman Bridge. He is most known for scaring anyone brave enough to walk or drive the bridge at night. No one is sure what happened to him, but the theory is that he died in a fiery crash or a brush fire. I know, that's something I would never want to see. Jessica Berry suggested Highway 666 in New Mexico. U.S. Highway 491 is the former Highway 666, and I think we can all guess as to why they wanted to change that. Obviously, with an unfortunate name like that, one would expect the highway to be haunted, and they'd be right. This stretch of roadway has several apparitions taking on the role of hitchhiking ghost. The first is a female apparition that lingers by the roadside. She not only appears once and then disappears as a car approaches, she continues to appear and disappear as they travel down the highway. Another spirit belongs to a little girl. She is seen wearing a pale dress and wanders along the roadside. People stop for her, worried that a child is all alone out there. Once they stop, she disappears. Some of the creepier hitchhikers here have no faces. That would be terrifying. They are actually hitchhiking, thumbing for a ride, but disappear when approached. And the infamous skinwalkers have been known to frequent this stretch of highway as well. Hot Rod Haven near Louisville, Kentucky, and this was suggested by Michael Renengar. There's a stretch of Mitchell Hill Road in Kentucky known to local folks as Hot Rod Haven. Between the 1940s and the 1970s, the road was a popular spot for teenagers to test their racing skills. This was not the wisest place to race because the road twists and winds. In fact, at least 25 people have lost their lives on this road. Two of those people include a couple. On September 23, 1946, Roy Clark and Sarah Mitchell were on their way to a school dance when Roy lost control of the car and crashed at the curve. 
Both of them were pronounced dead at the scene. There's a cemetery at the top of Mitchell Hill where the couple's buried today under a single stone. And this is actually true. I've seen pictures of the stone and the cemetery. It's Sarah who seems to be our hitchhiking ghost on this roadway. Reports have been made over the decades of motorists seeing a girl wandering the roadway and aimlessly strolling the cemetery at the top of the hill. She vanishes after a time, leading to her being nicknamed the Vanishing Hitchhiker. And isn't it interesting that we have several of them that we've been talking about, all called the Vanishing Hitchhiker. Dina Marie of the Twisted Philly podcast put out a suggestion as well, and this is found in Bristol, Pennsylvania. This is the story of Gutrud Spring, who was from Bristol, Pennsylvania, which is in Bucks County, and that's about 45 minutes north of Philadelphia. And this town was founded in 1681, one year before William Penn came to the New World and founded Pennsylvania. So Bristol's been around a long time. Dina found a newspaper article about the death of Gutrud Spring that I'm going to share with you right now. Many attend funeral of Miss Gutrud Spring. The funeral of Miss Gutrud Spring, 26-year-old daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Louis C. Spring, who died early on Thursday morning as a result of injuries suffered in an automobile accident, was very largely attended yesterday afternoon at the Spring residence. Numerous were the relatives and friends who gathered at the home to pay their last respects to a well-known and much-revered member of Bristol's younger set, who met death in an accident in which her escort, William Bagley, 824 Radcliffe Street, was instantly killed near Morrisville. The Reverend George E. Boswell, rector of St. James Episcopal Church, of which the late Miss Spring was a member, officiated at the service. The Episcopal burial service was used, and words of comfort were given in I am the resurrection and the life, saith the Lord, and the verses which followed, and likewise in the hopeful passage of Scripture, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. The Reverend Boswell slowly repeated the lines of O love that will not let me go, and was joined in the Apostles' Creed by the many relatives and friends who'd gathered at the spring home. Then in closing, the rector recited the beautiful lines of Peace, Perfect Peace. The spacious room in which the late Miss Spring lay was banked with flowers and various designs. Over 100 pieces had been placed. Many filed past the quarter couch bronze casket to pay their last respects. The young woman was attired in a dress of powder blue silk crepe with open work collar of the same material. In one hand was clasped a small bouquet of white roses. Eight young men bore the remains of its last resting place in St. James Churchyard. And then it names those young men. The casket was lowered into an underground mausoleum of metal and concrete. Interment was in charge of the H.S. Rue Estate Funeral Directors. Death had occurred for the young Bristol woman as she and her escort were returning from the Devon Horse Show, followed by a dinner at the home of friends in Bala. The couple in Miss Spring's new sedan were en route down Bristol Pike to this borough when the car, in failing to round a curve, struck a tree. Mr. Bagley was instantly killed and Miss Spring died a short time later in St. Francis Hospital, Trenton, New Jersey. The late Miss Spring was a graduate of the Mary Lyons School, Swarthmore, and also attended the Robert Speech Preparatory School, Cantonsville, Maryland, William & Mary College, Williamsburg, and Pierce School, Philadelphia. She was vice president of the Junior Travel Club of Bristol. So there you heard she's buried in St. James Episcopal Cemetery, which is on Cedar Street in Bristol. No one knows why she's considered the hitchhiking ghost, but her name has been synonymous with the ghost of a young woman who's often seen on Bordentown Road, and along nearby roads in Bristol and Bucks County. Years ago, a truck driver picked up a young woman on Bordentown Road wearing a fancy pink gown. The dress looked old-fashioned, and she seemed out of place, particularly because she was wandering a dark road late at night, alone. He picked her up, and after a while, he turned to talk to her, but the young woman in the beautiful dress was gone. 
The only sign of her was a puddle on the passenger seat. The truck driver called the police to report what happened, but what could they do about a young woman who disappeared? Dina had written that no proof of a report like this was made to the Bristol police or when it might have happened. So as to the veracity of the tale, we're not sure. Why was the seat wet? Well, according to legend, it was believed that Gertrude Spring drowned in Van Skyver Lake under Bordentown Road Bridge when she died in 1935. There's an old story that one night Gertrude and a date were driving home from a night out and his car went off the bridge on Bordertown Road. The car and the boy were pulled from the lake and although neither she nor her companion survived, Gertrude's body was never found. That is, of course, according to the legend, but as we just read in the article that Dina found, that's not what happened in this case. There was no lake that the car went into and, of course, her body was recovered because she was there in the casket. Bristol New Hope, that area is very old and there are so many ghost stories besides the story of Gertrude Spring, who is also called the Lady of the Lake due to her manner of death, and Midnight Mary because it's usually late at night when her ghost is spotted. When people see Gertrude, it's often on the bridge of Bordertown Road. She's wandering in a pink gown, disoriented, and although she isn't hooking her thumb, it does seem she's looking for a ride somewhere. And Dina also wrote, I included a map of Bordentown Road in Bristol, Pennsylvania. Pensbury Manor was William Penn's home. It's a historic site operated as it was in the late 1680s, and you can tour it. Churn your own butter. It's amazing. You can also see how close this area is to New Jersey, and that section of the Delaware River isn't far from where George Washington made his famous crossing. Gertrude's tombstone is very simple. doesn't even have her last name listed. I think it's in a family plot. The St. James Cemetery dates back to the early 1700s, there are so many people buried there with ties to the Revolutionary War and the earliest settlers of Pennsylvania. So thank you to Dina for sharing that. Next, we're going to Texas to White Rock Lake. White Rock Lake is a large reservoir in Texas. It's a fairly normal lake other than the bizarre legend surrounding it. Legend tells that the area surrounding the lake is haunted by the Lady of White Rock Lake. She died during the 1930s at the young age of 20. To suit this, she can be seen wearing an old-fashioned dress soaked through with water. Like every other vanishing hitchhiker on this list, she hitches a ride with kind strangers. A few minutes into the journey, she tells the driver that she was just involved in a boating accident. Seconds after telling this, she completely disappears. And apparently, she sometimes leaves behind a soaking wet book. And that book contains no words, just blank pages. Very, very bizarre. Next, we have Lydia of Jamestown, North Carolina, and this was suggested by Lisa Weaver and Michael Renengar. June 20th of this year, 2018, marked the 98th anniversary of the crash that killed the woman known as the infamous Lydia, who is the Jamestown hitchhiker. Writers and ghost hunters Michael Renegar and Amy Greer wrote the book Looking for Lydia, the 30-year search for the Jamestown hitchhiker. They think they found the true identity of this spirit. The story of Lydia is very similar to all the other hitchhiking ghost stories. She's a beautiful woman who seems sad and just wants a ride home. She hangs out by Lydia's Bridge, which is actually an abandoned underpass about 100 feet from where the present railway bridge crosses over East Main Street. The story goes that this woman was named Lydia and that she died at the underpass in a car accident after having been at a dance. Stories about Lydia mirror those of Resurrection Mary, which we'll be mentioning in just a moment. She flags down a car, hops into the back seat, she gives her home address and then seems lost in another world, not open to conversation. She vanishes when the driver arrives at the address she's given. This story and the experiences have continued for nearly a hundred years. 
And while Michael and Amy believe the stories of the hitchhiking ghost, they think the information is wrong about Lydia. The main point being that her name was not Lydia. They believe she's Annie L. Jackson and that she was 35 years old when she died. Michael says that Annie's maternal grandmother, Lucinda, was known as Ludia, and this was probably Annie's middle name. Ludia sounds similar to Lydia, so you can kind of see where this other name comes from. And since we know these stories get changed over time, perhaps that's what's happened here. And the story's probably been changed a bit, too, because since Annie was 35, she certainly wasn't a young girl on her way home from a school dance. She was actually in a car with a male driver and another couple when the car flipped on a curved road in June of 1920. Only Annie was killed. A Greensboro Patriot article was written about the wreck back when it happened. And so they can verify the fact that Annie actually did live, that she was in an accident, and that it was along this stretch of highway. The legend usually claims that Lydia wants to be taken to her mother's house in High Point, but Michael and Amy found that Annie Jackson's parents died years before she did, and that the house she wants to be taken to is that of her maternal first cousin and aunt, whose house was in Jamestown near the underpass where Annie Jackson died. The story has been told and retold so many times that it eventually morphed into a young woman waiting in the rain for a ride to her mother's house after attending a dance. Based on the years of research that Michael and Amy have done, it would seem that Annie or Lydia was once a real person and could very possibly still be wandering the road where she died. And then finally we have who is probably the most famous hitchhiking ghost out there, and that is Resurrection Mary from Chicago, Illinois. And this was suggested by Kristen Swintek and Bonnie Nelson both. Archer Avenue in Chicago, Illinois is said to be one of the most haunted strips of road in America. One of the most famous hitchhiking ghosts calls this road home, and that is, of course, Resurrection Mary. I've driven Archer Avenue and followed the path that Resurrection Mary took on the evening that she died. And I've also been to the cemetery where she's reportedly buried. Mary's tale begins in the 1930s. She went dancing with a date at the O'Henry Ballroom, later known as the Willowbrook Ballroom. This location was still standing when I visited Chicago three years ago, but sadly it burned to the ground in October of 2016. So basically a year after I saw it, it burned down. And there is a video of the visit that I had to Willowbrook Ballroom up on YouTube. If you just search the History Goes Bump page and put in Willowbrook Ballroom, you'll probably find it so you can see what it looks like from the outside. Mary and her boyfriend got into a fight sometime that evening while they were dancing, and she stormed out of the dance hall. The evening was cold as Mary started making her way home up Archer Avenue. It was also dark, and a passing motorist didn't see Mary walking on the side of the road till it was too late. She was struck and killed, and the driver fled the scene. Her parents had her buried in Resurrection Cemetery. Sometime after that, motorists started seeing a woman in white on the roadway. She looked very real, and many of them would stop to offer her a ride. One such person was a taxi cab driver who was traveling Archer Avenue in late December on the south side of Chicago. He noticed a young woman on the side of the road wearing what looked like a white cocktail dress and a thin shawl. She was not dressed for the elements, and he pulled over to offer her a ride, which she accepted. Her hair was damp, and she looked disheveled. She hopped into the back seat and told the driver to just continue down Archer Road. He tried to make small talk with her, but she wasn't interested in conversation. And how many times have we heard that story now in this episode? A little ways down the road, the woman tells the driver to stop the car and that this is where she wants to get out. You can't get out here, he tells the young woman. This is a cemetery. She'd been sitting in the back seat. When he glanced back at her because she didn't respond to him, he sees that she's gone. 
Mary was also said to appear at the O. Henry Ballroom. A young man might dance with her for a while and then offer to give her a ride home. She would always accept and offer vague directions that would end up at the gates of Resurrection Cemetery. She would then disappear. More reports continue to come of people giving a young woman a ride only to have her vanish. The more distressing stories featured Mary being in the road and getting hit. Usually she bolted out of the cemetery and into the roadway. When the motorists would stop to offer help, they would find no body. Some drivers claimed that their car passed right through the girl's body. Because the girl was thought to be named Mary, and since she was clearly connected to Resurrection Cemetery, the legend now calls her Resurrection Mary. There are several theories as to who Mary really could have been. Some say that she's Mary Bregovi, who was killed in an auto accident in 1934. The only problem is that she died on Wacker Drive in downtown Chicago. The car that she was riding in collided with an elevated train support, and she was thrown through the windshield. So clearly this is not a woman who was walking down the side of the road and killed in a hit and run. Others have claimed that Mary was actually the ghost of a young woman named Mary Muskowski, who was killed crossing the street one night in October 1930 on her way to a costume party. No one knows for sure who Mary was, but the stories about her seem to be more than legend. There have been so many witnesses and the dates and times have been recorded that this seems to be more than just an urban legend. A man named Jerry Pallas had one of the most credible stories. He claimed to have met Mary in 1939, and the encounter was so memorable that he still recalled it until his death in 1992. He appeared on a number of television shows sharing his experience. This is what happened. He went to the Liberty Groven Hall, a dance hall that was near 47th Street in Mozart, and met a beautiful girl there. He asked her to dance, and the couple spent several hours together. He noticed that the girl who called herself Mary had cold skin, and when he leaned in to kiss her, her lips were cold and clammy. She seemed distant most of the evening as well. At the end of the evening, the young woman asked Paulus for a ride home, and she told him to drive down Archer Avenue. As they drove down the road, they approached the gates to Resurrection Cemetery. She asked him to pull over because she had to get out there. Paulus was reluctant to leave her outside the cemetery and told her he would only let her out if she allowed him to walk her across the street. She refused and said, This is where I have to get out, but where I'm going, you can't follow. Paulus watched as she quickly exited the car and ran towards the cemetery. Before she got to the gate, she disappeared before his very eyes. He was clearly shocked. The next day, he visited the address that the girl had told him the night before when he'd asked where she lived when they were dancing. The woman who answered the door told him that he couldn't have possibly been with her daughter the night before because she'd been dead for several years. She invited him in and showed him a family portrait. There he saw the girl he'd been dancing with and whom he gave a ride to the cemetery. The most bizarre story occurred in 1976. The driver was passing by the cemetery around 10.30 one evening when he happened to see a girl standing on the other side of the gates. He said that when he saw her, she was wearing a white dress and grasping the iron bars of the gate. He didn't stop, but he went to the local police station and told them that a woman had been locked into the cemetery. An officer responded to the call, but when he arrived, there was no one there. He went over the gate for a closer look, and he found that two of the bars in the gate had been pulled apart and bent at sharp angles. Even stranger was that at the points on the green-colored bronze where they'd been pried apart, there were blackened scorch marks. The marks had a skin texture and handprint seared into the metal. The marks of the small hands made big news, and curiosity seekers came from all over the area to see them. In an effort to discourage the crowd, cemetery officials attempted to remove the marks with a blowtorch, making them look even worse. Finally, they cut the bars off and installed a wire fence until the two bars could be straightened or replaced. 
On September 5, 1980, a young man was leaving a softball game and driving down Archer Avenue. As he passed the Red Barrel restaurant, he spotted a young woman standing on the side of the road in a white dress. He stopped the car and offered her a ride, and she accepted, asking that he take her down Archer. He tried to draw her into conversation, even joking that she looked like Resurrection Mary, but she was not interested in talking. He tried several times to get her to stop for a drink, but she never replied. He was driving past the cemetery, never having stopped or even slowed down when he looked over and saw that the girl was gone. She had simply vanished. Reports of Resurrection Mary continued into the 1990s, but nothing more recent has been reported. I myself saw no sign of Mary in either the cemetery or on Archer Road. Of course, I wasn't traveling it at night, so maybe that was part of the problem. The stories about hitchhiking ghosts are so plentiful that it seems that some of them must be true. And if that is the case, why do so many spirits wander the roadways? Why do so many take a ride in a car? For those that speak, we know they are intelligent. And since they are not locked into some time-space continuum that is residual, why are they damned to walk the same road where they died? Do they vanish because they reach the limits of their boundary and can go no further? For those that leave their grave and say, go to a ballroom to dance, is it truly because they need to ride back because the walk is too far? Are there really hitchhiking ghosts out there in the world? That is for you to decide. I just love all of those stories and it never ceases to amaze me how similar they are. It doesn't matter what part of the world they come from. They all are very, very similar. And that seems to be the case with all urban legends. How do these stories get started in so many different places and all have such similar things going on, whether it's the crybaby bridge or the story of the man with the hook just blows my mind how these urban legends get started and keep going through all the years and don't seem to change too much, even though they may have been around for decades. I want to encourage you guys to check out the website at historygoesbump.com. And if you have some feedback to send to me, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Don't forget that we have Cemetery Bingo coming up on Sunday, October 28th in 2018. It's Blackout Bingo. The cards are available in the Spooktacular crew under the Files tab there. I also have them up on the website. And if you can't get them in those two locations, just send me an email and I will send the cards out to you. You want to get as many of the symbols that are on that card as possible. And whoever has the most by the end of that day, midnight in your particular section of the world, will win a Taffophile t-shirt. So good luck to everyone on that. I want to thank Cassidy for her comments over on the website. She said, you do so many excellent episodes and I hope that you keep going and you make a strong influence on people that don't really like history. You made me love history and I've had some ghost experience. The only ghosts I see are silhouettes, which freak me out badly. And I think they're excellent. I don't know if I would think silhouetted ghosts would be excellent because those sound like shadow people to me. How scary. But thank you for your comments, Cassidy. And Anthony wanted to point out regarding the Aerostook War that we talked about that happened in Maine, Vermont declared war on Nazi Germany nearly three months before the Pearl Harbor attack. So here we have another example of a single state declaring war on a foreign power before the rest of the country did. So I stand corrected that Maine is not the only state to have done that. Apparently, Vermont has done it as well. Have some Apple podcast reviews to share. First one up is from Powell Jamie 2. Awesome five stars. I stumbled upon this podcast. I listened and now I can't stop. Please give me more, more, more. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you. And I will definitely be bringing you more, more, more. And Bejeweler 9, historical podcast with paranormal twist five stars. 
This podcast is well-researched and is a wonderful podcast if you enjoy history and the paranormal. Thank you for those reviews. I greatly appreciate them. I want to thank all of you for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome into the cemetery Chris White, who will be receiving a spot in the niche wall, and Maria Doctor, who will be getting a chest tomb. Hey, Mort, are you ready for some cemetery bingo? I need a camera for that. Can I pawn my shovel for a camera? Well, I suppose you can pawn your shovel. I'm not sure you'll get a camera in exchange, though, but you can try. Bingo. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you.